0: So, I wonder, what is your reaction when I explain the topic? What do you think about work? (laughs) Or if you're younger, study, okay? Because you may have part-time jobs, but most of your thinking at the moment is study. So, calibrate study where I'm saying work. What's the reaction when you realise it's a sermon about work? Does the thought of work and study have you staying in bed longer in the morning because it's disinteresting or distasteful? Or does the thought of work and study have you staying out of bed longer because you're so passionate and you can't seem to stop? Different people respond differently, don't they? Some are staying up, some don't want to get up. Work, is it good or is it bad? That's what we really want to understand from God's word this evening. Now, asking someone whether it's better that they, is it better to underwork or overwork, is about the same as asking someone, is it better to be underweight or overweight, isn't it? It's a wrong question. It's not a matter of which is better, it's how do you find the balance of. Work. So that's what I want us to uh, look at this evening as we think about work and study. So it's a topical sermon. That means I'm not going to be uh, working through a single passage because it's a a topic that the scriptures teach. And I have just two points, but I have (laughs) sub-points as well. So two main points and some sub-points. So here's the first point. Work is good. Work is good. Study is good. So don't underwork or understudy. Work is good. The Bible has a very positive view of work. And particularly when we read in the Proverbs, there is a lot of positive about work and negative about being lazy. There's a positive view in scripture to industrious, active, meaningful, purposeful work. That's why I read to you from Proverbs 6. Go to the ankh, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander or no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. And we also, in other Proverbs, Proverbs 10 verse 4, we're told that lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12 and verse 14, from the fruit of their lips people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. Proverbs 14, all hard work brings profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. But 20 and verse 4. Sluggards do not plough in season, so at harvest time they look out and find nothing. Now I don't know if you remember the old O2 adverts. Do you remember those? They used to call us to be more dog. You, do you remember those? Be more dog. Well, the Bible here in Proverbs says be more ant. That's what you all need to be. Be more ant. An ant does not have a boss, and yet an ant gets on with its work. Be inwardly motivated. Or are you always waiting for your mum or your dad, or for your boss to say, come on? No, be more ant. Be inwardly motivated to do good work. And and the Bible isn't just positive about work in the sense of grunt work, getting food on the table, have to do it in order to pay the bills work. No, the Bible is positive about quality work, craftsmanship, work that is done really well, a well done job. Proverbs 22 and verse 29 says, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials or of low rank. Perhaps the, the, the clearest way we see God's uh, positive uh, command for quality work was with the building of the tabernacle. Now, I don't know whether uh, how you'd have been, but if I'd have been advising about building a tabernacle, something that's got to be put up, taken down, shifted all along, I'd have said, go to B&Q, get, get some scaffolding, uh, just, just make a pretty temporary thing that's easy... You know, it's temporary. The temple's coming. But this is what we read in Exodus 35. Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for for work in every skilled craft. If you read through Exodus, you will find that the tabernacle, the temporary pack-up, move-on, unpack tabernacle, was artistic and beautiful, a wonder. Work is good, and good work is good. Quality work, study that is done well, not just to get over the line and pass, not just the job to be done so that we can get on, but quality work. Is that what you think of when you think of your work? Because you should, because you're made in the image, each of us here, made in the image of the supreme worker, the supreme craftsman. The most creative and amazingly skilled designer of all. God. Look at the creation that He has made with all its variety, all its complexity, all of its beauty. And God says, I've made you in my image. Go and work like I do. A quality job, well done, so that it pleases all who can benefit. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then we read, the Lord God took them up, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That's the mandate all of us have been given. To cultivate. Now that was always more than gardening. It wasn't just do some gardening, it was develop the world with whatever sphere you're thinking of. It's about developing and creating wonderful structures and and things that will bring glory to God and pleasure to mankind. So we are all co-workers with God in this great cultural mandate. And that means two things need to be on our radar. We must beware a sacred-secular divide, yeah? That says that, well, church and gospel work matters, but everything else, when it's all going to get burnt up, it doesn't. That's a very shrunk view of God's mandate for creation. Yes, of course, preaching the gospel is crucial. Saving people come into a saving knowledge of Uh, The gospel is important. But everything else you do matters as well. And it matters to God. So don't have pastors or preachers who tell you that, guys, you're just here to to work, to pay me, to do the real work. That's not true. Your work, whatever you do, matters to God. We've got to be very careful not to have a secular, uh, sacred divide where some work is devalued. But we also mustn't have a paid or unpaid divide. Paid work matters, because you get the money, you pay the bills. But if it's voluntary, if it's unpaid, if it's within the home, well, that's not real work. No, that's real work. All work matters. Your work matters. I assume no-one here is running a Class A drugs cartel. (laughs) Yeah? So your work matters. Your work matters whether you're paid or you're unpaid, whether it's uh, uh, gospel work or whether it's other work. I really want you to get this clear work is good, it's good for you. It's how you've been built in your DNA to be productive wherever God gives you an opportunity. That was rediscovered back in the uh, 16th century. The Protestant Reformation rediscovered this. It had been lost. This great secular uh, and sacred divide had grown. And Martin Luther wrote that the work of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, does not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic labourer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. Really important that we see that all types of work, your work, my work, is matters. Maybe you think your work is small, insignificant, unnoticed, but God sees and God wants to see you doing good work for him, even if no one else sadly appreciates what you do. We were all made to work, whether paid, unpaid, sacred or secular. But work now will be hard. I don't know if some of you said you've been to the States, so you might know this. Um, if you fly from New York to London, it will take you about seven hours but if you fly from London to New York, how long will it take you? Eight hours, 15 minutes. Which is a bit odd, given it it's exactly the same route. Yeah? Seven hours to get from New York to London. Eight hours, 15 minutes to go back exactly the same way. Huh? Why is that? Anyone know? Yes, it's the Atlantic jet stream. There is a prevailing wind that blows from America across to Britain, the Atlantic jet stream, and it means that flying into that is flying into a wind. And I don't know if you've been on a bike, you've tried bike, cycling into wind. It's hard, isn't it? It's harder work. Well, I want you to think, when you're doing your work, or your study, that you're now working against a headwind, An opposition, making it hard to do. And that's Genesis 3. Okay, Genesis 3 explains the headwind, the pushback, the opposition that makes your work hard. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Which is a poetic way of saying, work is now like flying into the Atlantic jet stream. You get that, don't you? You know that. Work is hard because of the fall. Three... Subpoints is to develop why that is. Firstly, creation itself has been cursed. That's clearly in the text, isn't it? Yeah? Now, we see that most tangibly if you work in agriculture. Thorns and thistles, low crop yields, soil depletion. Yeah? You just don't get out what you could get out because the soil, the, the environment, isn't good. And there are some parts of the world where that's extremely obvious, isn't it? You can plant the same seed in one country, in another country, and the yield will be completely different. Why? Not because of the worker, because of the, the soil, the creation, not being productive, it's being cursed. And that's really hard, isn't it? If you're a, a, a small worker in a part of, the country, well, part of the world where the soil isn't particularly good. That's hard, just to make a living. But then we also see it, don't we, in, in health, lack of health, sickness... Old age, death, our hospitals speak out about the the fact that our bodies are not strong. We're limited. Maybe some of you uh, find it hard to do things as you grow older or because of a disability. Work is hard. That's a full impact. But it spreads even further. Uh, Years ago, I used to work in engineering and I was involved in trying to design a nuclear waste structure in Scotland. But the, the brief said it had to withstand the risk of an earthquake. It had to withstand the risk of flooding. But earthquakes and floods weren't in God's good creation. They are all consequences of the curse. And of course that makes your job a lot harder because you've got to try and build for things that, well, are going to work against you, destroy what you're trying to put up. Maybe that's your world The budget and the the time scale, but you've got to face some really challenging uh, uh, physical restraints. Creation itself has been cursed, and so our work is harder. That's the first thing. But secondly, we are all sinners. And that means that we're not all fighting on the right side or playing on the same team. Just think how much extra effort is needed because of sin in the workplace do you have to navigate office politics do you have to put up with poor performance in some workers that don't get jobs done is there rivalry conflict it all works against you doesn't it you're trying to do your work but all of this is against you think of the decorator goes the extra mile to do a quality job and he decorates the whole school hall and he comes in a month later and there's graffiti all over. Why did I bother? Could have been a slap job but he did a really good job. Maybe the accountant who labours to balance the books, get it all right and then the boss embezzles the money. And the teacher stays up late, prepares every paper and marks and gives a comment just to see the children toss the book. Or maybe the, <coughs> the, head, the, the senior managers just push for more performance. Is that your world? That's the effect of sin pushing against your good intentions. Just think how much of our country's GDP is spent trying to prevent sin or mop up after. I used to be a prison chaplain. Sometimes I'd stand there in the prison and think, how much money is being spent just to keep this place? The frustration of prison officers trying to stay safe. The the frustration of seeing even some of the prisoners trying to keep out of serious trouble. And then you think about the police force. You think about armies. You think about courts and solicitors. All of that really just there. Because of the consequence of the fall. And if you're in that world, you boy, don't you find it frustrating. You're trying to help people maybe in social services and then it all falls back and they don't cooperate. Broken families. So much. Work is good, but work is hard because of the fall. Creation itself has been cursed. We are sinners and sin works against good activities, frustrates good plans. But thirdly, we are just weak and limited. Sometimes it's not sin, it's just weakness. I remember some years ago being on a conference overseas, and I turned to my colleague and said, where's the memory stick for the presentation? I left it on my desk. I've got two hours. I had to quickly type up something. to. No, the guy didn't do it on purpose. He just genuinely forgot how many times do I forget? How many many times do I say, I'll get that done. No, no, I'll send it. And I forget. Someone phones me up. Email doesn't go out. Order doesn't get made. Why hasn't it come? Sorry, guys, that's me. Yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Sometimes it's just our weakness that means that we drop balls. We forget things. And what does that mean? It makes us want to give up. It makes us think, why am I bothering? But I want you all to think like this. What would it be like if I didn't do my bit? What would the world be like if I just gave up? And I want you to press on against the headwind. However hard it is, I don't know what, where, where, what your lives are. I don't know what you're doing through the week coming up. But maybe you're going to be tempted to say, is it worth it? Why am I doing it? I want you to say, yes, it is, because work is good. And what you're doing, caring, working, struggling, whatever it is, keep at it. Because our world would be so much worse if we didn't keep pushing against the headwind. So, work is good. That's my first point. So, don't underwork. But, secondly, work is not God. So, don't overwork. Work is not God, so don't overwork. Now, we live in an age where Descartes' dictum um, has many spin-offs. He said, I think, therefore I am. But often today it's, I work, therefore I am. My work is who I am. That's what I'm aiming for. But Proverbs say that's, that's a dangerous and foolish and sinful plan. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats with be bursting with wine. That's a poetic way of saying, don't let work become your God. Honour the Lord before your work. And so we live in an age, particularly in Western uh, culture, where work can become a God. And we Christians can still make (coughs) idols of our work. We've got to guard our hearts Proverbs goes on to say, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. I want to warn you all, do not let work become too important. It will disappoint you and it will dishonour the Lord. Work is good, but we're to work to serve God and to serve others not to serve work as a God. And even amongst Christians, and you know, even amongst some church pastors, workaholism can be a great snare. What did Jesus say? The scribes came to him and heard them dispute. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that Jesus answered them, well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus said, the most important is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So have you been following? I want you to love your work. And I want to love you to love your studies. But you must love God more than your work. And you must love others more than your work. I'm not saying don't love your work. Love it. Work hard. But love God more and work for the good of others, not merely the good of yourself. And you can do this as you pray for God's strength and God's wisdom. You can find the balance. Now, I'm sure that all of you here would say, well, of course, there's only one God. Work is not a God. I'm not an idolater. But be careful here are three my three subpoints, three telltale signs that work is becoming too important and may be functioning as an idol. And the first is when work status becomes your identity. Now this happened to me 18 years ago in a way that I would have been astounded a, a day earlier. I wouldn't have believed it of me. But let me tell you a little story. Eighteen years ago, I came to a position where I needed to send an email to HR. To resign my job. Prayed about it, talked to my wife, we were happy. I'm going to resign my job, could go from full time to part time, with a view to going no time. I was going to train to go into ministry. Church were happy with me, wanted me to train, everything was fine. And then I had to send the email. And I couldn't do it. I faffed around, you know, when you rewrite it and you do something else. I, did something on the shelf and had a cup of coffee. You know, if you you do that, I'm that kind of guy. And I thought, what what is this? I I just can't send the email. And I went and walked around Royal Fort Gardens, and I realised, gosh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm daring to give up something that's really, really precious and rewarding, and step out in faith to something I don't know, I don't know whether I'm going to succeed. At that time, I was a senior lecturer at the University of Bristol. That brought a lot of kudos. And I was about to give that up and become a Baptist pastor. I mean, was I even going to succeed? I hadn't trained for it. I didn't know. And it suddenly dawned on me, I actually have made my work an idol. And the kudos and the security. And if you'd have said to me, Andrew, that morning, you're an idolater. I'd have given you a slap. And I said... No, I'm not. There's only one God. I'm an orthodox Christian. And yet I was an idolater. I was, I'd made an idol out of the identity of my work and I didn't see it until I had to send that email. I'll get a bit emotional because it really was a slap in the face <coughs> for me. I had to sit and, I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust you. And I sent the email. It can, it can really catch up on you without knowing. I just want you to ask these questions. Do you love to tell people what you do? Is that because that's too important to you? Do you love to turn the conversations so that what you do pops out? Be careful. Don't let your work become your identity. If you do, it's become an idol. What do you think about retirement? Is that the end of life? Challenging, isn't it? Don't let work become your identity. Secondly, be careful that it hasn't become an idol if you fail to rest. Workaholism grips people because work is a God that never rests. Work never rests. There's always more to do, isn't there? Always more to do. But you and I have been made by a God who rests and commands you and I to rest. What a God we have. Our boss says, you must have a day off. What a boss. And, he, and, he, and he, he's not saying, you, you, you can do that, but I'm a, No, he has shown the way. That's why we have this in scripture. God doesn't need to do that. He's done that in order to model the importance of rest. Go home and rest. Take a day off. I've got it covered. You're not suffering. Someone else can do your work. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and rest. So I want to ask you, how are you doing with rest in your work? It's not easy, is it? Mike was talking to me about my job. My job could just keep on growing and growing. I need discipline to say I'm only doing that much. It's hard. Good things you want to do. Stay up late. Do more no i need to say that's all. I can. i'm one man i can do one man's job that's hard isn't it but we need to be honest am i safeguarding rest not just for my own health and for my family but in order to show to god that i'm not finding all my identity all of my worth in my work so after you'll have the cup of tea at back, what are you going to do afterwards? Is it back to more work to get ready for tomorrow? I know living in a you know, secular world with shifts is not easy and I'm not trying to make too much of that, but I'm just asking you, are you someone who is willing <coughs> to take a day of rest, willing to put your work down, willing to maybe lose that extra job or that uh, extra uh, pay rise in order to say, no, there's something more important to me. Simply work, work, work. Your students, are you doing that with your studies? Because the way you study, guess what? That'll be the way you work. You'll just roll on with the same habit. Are you willing, maybe, to stop work? I remember when I was an undergraduate, uh, uh, my tutor said to me, if you don't work Sundays, you won't get a first. I said, okay. (laughs) I'd just become a Christian. I was passionate, that young, young man. I said, okay. Well, the Lord helped me and I got it first. You know, you can, you can not work and still achieve. But it was a discipline to say, oh, no, I'm going to take a day off. You know, yeah, but come on. No, because God says it. That settles it. We need to rest. So, danger signs that work has become a God is when it's become your identity, when you're not resting. And thirdly, when the ends justify the means. When you've got to so get on that you can't stop when things are going wrong. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, Proverbs says. But he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Proverbs says, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honours God. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. Do not crush the needy in court. So, let me ask you, are you willing to take action when you see injustice in your work? Are you willing to say, no, I can't go along with that, even if it's going to cause you uh, some trouble? Are you willing uh, to stand against squeezing others to maximise profit? Are you going to stand up for justice, righteousness? Or do you turn a blind eye because you think, well, it's pay rises for all of us? Bonuses for all of us. Do you see, it's very subtle, isn't it? We often work in big organisations, but are we willing to stand up and say, no, work is not everything to me. There There are red lines that I will not cross. I will not go along with that. And I will trust God if I have to find other work. It's hard, isn't it? But if we're not willing to stand up, maybe it's because work has become too important. It's become our God. We serve work rather than the Lord God himself. So I want you to see that work is good, but because of the fall, work is hard. Work is good, so don't underwork. But work is not God, so don't overwork. Now, just one last application. Tomorrow morning, the alarm will go off, and you'll ask yourself, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? I want you to think Ahead tomorrow morning, not to the end of the day, not to the end of the week, not to the end of the year, not to the end of the decade. I want you to think ahead to the end of the age, okay? And I want you to think what's going to happen at the end of the age (coughs) Jesus is going to come again and he's going to restore all things because of his work on the cross, because he died for your sins. He is going to come back and he's going to redeem the whole creation. He's going to remove the curse. He's going to get rid of the headwind. And work is going to be restored to what it was at the start. What will you do in the new creation? What will you do with the the skills and the the imagination and, and the desires you have? Have you thought about that? How will you work to the glory of God when your heart is pure and there's no idle factory when there's no sin working against there's no unfair target there's no threat of bills when you're free to work as you were made to work what will you do when you're no longer weak and limited Think of that when the alarm goes off and let that help you get out of bed and through the shower and say, I'm going to keep on serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one day, he's going to say, well done, faithful servant. One day, all those frustrations, all those things that make my work, my, my life hard will be gone. One day, work will be what it's always meant to be. We will work with and for Jesus. We will serve him without pain or sorrow. There will be no frustration, no graffiti. It will be productive and good. And let that fill your heart with gratitude if you follow the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've made us for a purpose. uh, That we all want to do something with our lives and that's good. Lord, we want to do something that will please you and that will be good for uh, others around us. So, Lord, whatever you have given to put our hands to, in, outside the house, paid or unpaid, whatever it is, in different stages of our life, Lord, help us to do it with joy and gratitude in the week ahead. Lord, we look forward to the day when all things will be restored. All the frustration, the headwind, the, 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 the pain will be gone. But Lord, we pray, help us in the meantime not to make a God of our work, not to be lazy, not to be workaholics, and not to work just for work's sake, work for money's sake. Help us to work for your glory and for the good of the others. And for those of us who are in really struggling situations, give us encouragement, Lord, to plod on. Maybe when we do a load of work and then it seems like the case is closed and the job is cancelled, the people are not thankful. No one notices. Help us to remember that you do. And you, you love a worker who works for you. And you reward in ways that aren't always uh, immediate or seen. Help us to see that. Lord, we thank you above all for the supreme work that Jesus has done for us. That means we don't have to work for our salvation. We don't need to work for our status. We don't need to work to be accepted because we are already accepted in him a gracious gift free grace in the lord jesus christ help us then we pray